This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Again, um, Luke 6, 27 through 45. Please rise if you're able for the reading of God's word. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Nobody ever spoke like that in the history of all religions and philosophies. Uh, there's nothing like that. It's, the, um, it's not only the, the pinnacle, I think, of human ethics, 
Um, but it's also really the, the depths and the foundation of all true theology. And so we're, we're talking about the kingdom of God in the book of Luke. And I think that in some ways this is the essence and the core and the heart of what the kingdom of God is, which is so different from the way that the world works. And namely to love your enemy. Um, that's in verse 35. Very simply, love your enemies. And it's really just baffling to uh, this empire that we live in. I like to call it the empire because uh, I believe the world is ruled by this evil uh, genius named Satan and all of his minions, the devils. And they have taken control of this uh, galactic uh, empire, this galaxy, if you will. And they, um, they, they are, they are an uh, empire of... Uh, meritocracy, if you will. So you, you get only what you deserve and uh, your value is based on what you can do and what you can bring to the table. It's quid pro quo, lending to those from who you expect to receive, verse 34. Uh, that's just what we experience every day. Um, that is essentially what all economics is, is just you lend and you get back. In fact, you lend and you get back more. And uh, you do good to those who good to, do good to you, verse 33. I'll scratch uh, your back if you scratch my back, you know, tit for tat. This is what humans uh, normally live like, and, um, and it's, it's the empire. And the kind of merciless corollary of do good to those who do, do good to you is that if somebody does bad to you, what do you do to them? You do bad to them. Um, you strike back. You do bad to those who do bad to you. And I would say that today... Um, in our culture, you know, these are the kind of the prevailing winds of, of America with our politics, especially right now. Um, 35% of Democrats in a, in a Pew uh, poll in 2016, this is four years ago, 35% of Democrats said that Republicans are more immoral than the average American. And then for Republicans, they thought 47% of them, almost half the Republicans, think that the average Democrat is uh, more immoral than the average American, certainly more immoral than they are. Now, four years uh, later, I can imagine those, those numbers have gone up um, several digits. 45% of Americans said that it was stressful to talk to people of the other political party uh, in 2016. And in 2018, that had gone up to 57%, two years, 12% rise. And this has real-time effects on all of us because... Uh, Thanksgiving dinners are shorter in polarized political areas of America. That's been proven. You know, uh, millions of hours have been lost, they say, sociologists say, in, in Thanksgiving dinners because of uh, this um, culture war that we're in. Um, and uh, I think uh, I, thought, I saw the, the movie Joker, and I think the way they portray Gotham City there, which is just pretty uh, sunless, concrete gray, full of mockery, hostility. Um, there's no mercy, there's no pity at all. Uh, that's a great depiction of what we're talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is the backdrop to his kingdom is this empire. And I would say that uh, the kingdom is like uh, when we flew into Honolulu, where the airport um, is like it's open air. So there are birds flying through and you can smell the tropical breezes and uh, your blood pressure just goes down. They're like exotic flowers and you can hear... Uh, music playing on a little ukulele. So the kingdom of God is a completely different world uh, than, than the empire. It's a, it's a land of grace where in verse 27, Jesus says, it's a place where people are doing good to those who hate them. It's a completely different way of looking at reality. Um, just imagine a, a, 
a, a neighborhood even, just one neighborhood where there's endless forgiveness. You can count on it completely. There's no condemnation. Verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Just imagine where you can, if you could just rely on that completely, if you can count on that. Or verse 28, imagine a world where people uh, affirm those who gossip about them. So you know someone's gossiping about you and you're, you're affirming those. Blessing those who curse you. We sometimes take these as just individual commands to us, but it's more like this is what a group of people are supposed to be doing to one another. It's an entirely new world where, uh, verse 29, somebody takes something from you and you give them more. So if someone's trying to con you and get money from you, you don't worry about that. You just, <clears throat> you're even more generous. Uh, that's, that's the world that Jesus is talking about here. And again, this is not... Some kind of daunting, impossible, uh, arduous command that could never be kept. This is the very atmosphere of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. And it's not a small part of the kingdom. This is, this is of the essence of the kingdom. This is not uh, an option for a Christian. It is a non-negotiable. This is not like what the superhero Christians do or the saints do. This is what everyone does. Um, one great theologian Miroslav Volf said, if you take love of enemy out of Christianity, you have unchristianized the Christian faith. That is what it's about. And so I want to look at um, two things. First of all, the, the kingdom of enemy love, where the kingdom is a place where the power of love transforms an enemy into a friend. That's what uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, that the power of love is the only power that can transform an enemy into a friend. That's what the kingdom is like. And then, in, and then be, the kingdom is like that because the king is himself an enemy lover, a great lover of enemies. So the kingdom and then the king, those two things. And first of all, uh, the kingdom of enemy love. I mentioned this in the, in the winter, but uh, in uh, 2018, September 6th, a white police officer, uh, Amber Geiger, walks into a, an apartment, a, a Dallas apartment, uh, of an African-American man. She walks in. He's watching TV. He turns around. She shoots him in the heart and kills him. Because she thinks that he is in her apartment. Because she went to the wrong floor in the apartment complex. And the brother's victim is, uh, is obviously um, infuriated. And he, and he says, I spent an entire year, as a quote, pretty much hating her. Wanting to kill her. Planning ways to kill her. But I gradually worked on my humility to free myself from anxiety. And emptied out the anger inside. And I'm sure that verse 28 says you pray for those who abuse you. I'm sure he prayed and he prayed and he prayed for the person who abused his brother, for this police officer. And it got to the point where he prepared his heart so that the, the day of uh, when, when she was being tried and he was on the witness stand, uh, he stood up and he walked over to her and he hugged her. And uh, he said, I forgive you. I love you. And I want you to give your life to Christ. And he, he did this, okay, he did this knowing that it was a gross miscarriage of justice that had occurred there. He was not putting his stamp of approval on the justice system. The, the officer got 10 years in prison. And, uh, and so this is not an excuse for racism in America, but it is the way, it's the hard road of the kingdom of God. Uh, the people of the kingdom do not need to operate like the average American. We have a different way of living. And that's certainly what this guy had. 
And having said that, it's, it's a dangerous illustration because uh, it makes you think that your enemy is someone out there who's like completely different from you who would come and shoot your family member or something like that. That is not who your enemy is, probably. Very, very likely your enemy is someone that is much closer to you, very close to you. Um, it's, it's potentially someone you grew up with. It could be a family member. Uh, it's often someone that you work with. It could be someone that you sleep with. It could be someone that you worship with. It is not unheard of that, that uh, the enemy of one Christian is another Christian. That, that two people in Christ are brothers and sisters, enemies of one another. And your enemy changes. It's a floating category. Um, there was one member of parliament in England who said that the person who sits across from the aisle is my opponent. The person who sits next to me is my enemy. And, and usually it's the, it's the rival it's the person that you feel competitive with, that you consider your enemy. And I remember when I became a Christian um, my senior year in college, my, my first big assignment uh, was um, to love my boss. Um, it was my first big uh, enemy love assignment from God. I was an RA, which resident advisor. Basically, it's like volunteering. You get almost nothing, but you're doing it to love your, uh, your students and um, so I was in charge of these 16 guys on this hall. And my hall director threatened to fire me one month into the job. And I was like, this is like being fired for volunteering at a soup kitchen. This is embarrassing that, that an RA would be fired by the hall director one month in. And he claimed that it was for um, these things that I considered to be very minor infractions. Um, being late, missing hall duty, and being disrespectful. You know, and now looking back on it, I think, well, maybe there was a reason for a conversation there. But uh, at the time, I, I considered him to be a great enemy. But um, my unredeemed heart would have just continued to hate him more and more and more. And to talk to my students about how terrible Eric is and to talk him down. But um, God was working on me throughout the year. So that the, the end of the year, and this was so new for me, I, I had no experience with anything like this. This was a new category for me. But I, I went to him... And I said, uh, I'd love to take you out to lunch at Elizabeth's Pizza. And so uh, he was absolutely shocked by that. I mean, I think he knew that I thought of him as my enemy. I think he thought of me as his enemy. So he was stunned, but he accepted. And we went to Elizabeth's Pizza. And, you know, he didn't, uh, nothing dramatic. It wasn't like he, um, he began to weep and break down and confess all his sins to me. But he, he did end, we ended the conversation with, with a handshake and with a lot of respect for each other. And we shared uh, some things with each other in our past that were kind of vulnerable. And so I, I say that because I think the, the love of enemies got to start with just refusing to condemn someone. It kind of starts there. Um, that, that the acid of love is this condemnation that Jesus talks about in verse 37. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. So that's a choice you have to make. And it's a choice where you say to yourself, uh, I am not going to think that I am better than him or her. I'm not going to I'm, I'm, I am thinking that right now, and I'm going to stop thinking that. Or I'm going to put the brakes on. It's kind of like a, this car is going forward. And, and you can't just stop it, but you can, you can put the brakes on um, and you can try to slow down those thoughts. Or uh, another one, I'm not going to try to get inside of her head and all the things that I think she's thinking about me. Because I find a lot of times 
That the enemy of love is when you get inside your, uh, the other person's head and you think that you know what they're thinking about you. And then you begin to argue against that, the line of evidence they have against you. You begin to argue against that to the point that you really think they think those things about you. And you just built up this case and you're just ready to fight this person who you have no idea what they think about you. And so Jesus says, you can't do that. Uh, do not condemn. Uh, condemnation is contagious. In verse 38, it says, with the measure, and when you hear measure there, think uh, like yardstick or a ruler. With the ruler that you use to measure other people, it's going to be measured back to you that way. And don't worry, this doesn't mean that uh, you're on the last day of judgment, uh, God will say, well, you've measured people like this, so I'm going to measure you like that. This, is, this has to do with social relations. And this is what I mean by condemnation is contagious. If you're always condemning people, and you have this really, really high, high standard for other people's behaviors, and you're harsh with them, guess what they're going to do back to you? They're going to be harsh. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to be uh, condemning. They're going, to, they're going to be measuring you with a very tight ruler. Um, if you're hypercritical of others, they're going to be hypercritical of you. And this just spreads through a system. And this is the very thing that Jesus wanted to stop happening to his people, that his, his kingdom cannot be like the empire that does these things. And so I think it's especially dangerous for, for me and for the elders of our church and the servant leaders of our church because we are the ones who in some ways set the tone for this, um, this kind of the contagion. And if we are blind to grace, um, then we're going to cause people to fall into pits, as Jesus says. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Verse 39. And obviously the leader there would be one of the, the leaders of his churches, he's saying. And he's saying that um, if you are self-righteous and blind to grace, uh, will not the people that follow you fall into a pit, verse 39. So if you can imagine it, there are churches out there uh, where they, they, their main thing is they've joined in the culture wars. And there are churches where uh, you go there and you hear about how bad the other side is. Um, and we try really hard not to be like that, but it's very, very tempting to join in. And so then the flock becomes a bunch of uh, expert critics where we know how to criticize the other people, the people out there that are not like us, uh, whether that's other Christians or people of other faiths or people of different kinds of communities in our country. And so you learn, because the leaders have trained you so well, you learn how to point out the most subtle flaws in your opponents. Jesus says the blind, uh, the leaders cannot be blind to grace. They cannot be blind like that. Because they're going to cause the people to fall into pits. Because, again, condemnation is contagious. I think of it like, uh, like a pool table with a bunch of billiard balls. And um, they're, they're banging off each other. They're bouncing around. Someone's, like, hitting them all the time with a, the, the stick. And uh, if your heart is hard, you're just going to increase the momentum in that system of the balls banging off one another. You're going to add uh, momentum to the judgment. You're going to pump up the energy in the system. And they're just going to keep banging harder and harder and harder. And you're going to be thinking, like, she doesn't like me. He acts so perfect. They never say hi to me. She's such a show-off. They think they're so smart. And you just keep adding condemnation and judgment to the system. It keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And someone has got to be the tennis ball that takes out the energy from the system and begins to absorb, absorb the contact and not make the balls bounce back off each other. Someone's got to be uh, unoffendable. As uh, this book says uh, that my wife's reading, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Verse 37, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Take the energy out of the system. 
So this book, um, Unoffendable, uh, here's a quote. Uh, Being offended is a choice we make based on the presumption that I am entitled to be angry. And by the way, being offended is like like an art form today in our culture. Like people learn ways. They're they're trained in classes on how to be more easily offended. Uh, If you are constantly being hurt or angered, the book says, then you should honestly evaluate your inflamed ego. Christians should be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on the planet because we have divested ourselves of our status. And that is what Jesus is talking about in verse 29. Um, If someone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. That is not only about violence, but it's primarily about uh, being insulted. That was the great insult back then was to to slap someone on the cheek. Um, That's what one of the Roman guards did to Jesus. They slapped him on the cheek. It does hurt, but it wasn't primarily about the pain. It was much, much more about the offense of it. Um, It would be like saying some horrible slur to someone about their mother uh, or about their race or um, something about them. It's it's incredibly insulting to strike someone on the cheek. And so Jesus says, if you're insulted, then um, simply let yourself be open to being insulted again. And, And tell them maybe, like tell them, you don't know the half of it. You know, you think I'm that? Well, I'll tell you more. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot more to me to, sh- to, to share to you that's worse than you think I am. That's what he's talking about as far as being unoffendable. How can you say to your brother, verse 42, brother, let me take out the speck. That's like a speck of dust. So you're like inspecting their eye really, really carefully. So you're really, you're kind of um, narrowing your eyes. You're focusing in. Let me take that little speck, this tiny little character flaw that is in your eye. I'm going to take that out. Jesus says, how can you do that when you yourselves don't see the massive log, like a huge two by four log in my own eye? So like we are like people that have these huge logs and we're swinging them around and we're trying to judge these people and pick out little tiny specks in their eyes. And, you know, I'm eating at Panera and I see a father there and the father is on his cell phone and this little three-year-old boy is trying to, you know, get his attention. And the father just keeps typing away. And I'm trying to reach down and pull that speck out as if I know, you know, what's going on there. I judge him. Or at the checkout line where uh, somebody's really rude to the clerk and they won't really acknowledge the clerk. They're just looking at their phone the whole time. And they don't even look up. And I'm like, I'm judging them. Like, how can they, like, this is the problem with our culture today. And this is, and just thinking myself to be so superior to them. And these things seem like they're small, but these little things add up. Or a driver that drives that, that passes me or, or runs a yellow light or something like that. Um, you know, I, I get so angry. So a mother uh, with a child in a, um, in a doctor's office, it's like it's a packed doctor's office and there's no seats left. And this child is like taking two, just kind of slumped over two seats. And uh, the, the mother's like watching the TV or something. And I'm just criticizing, criticizing. And Jesus is like... You have this giant piece of wood in your own eye. And, and how, are you, how are you judging these people when you can't even see properly? You have no idea um, that the problem is with you. I heard someone once say, simply ask, ask yourself the question sometime, when did you realize that the problem was you and not all of them? At what point did you realize in your life that the problem was mostly you? So that's, uh, that's the kingdom of enemy love. Uh, the kingdom annihilates that kind of judgmental behavior. 
And uh, the reason that the kingdom is a kingdom of enemy love is because the king is a great lover of enemies. The one speaking these words is the lover of the enemy. Uh, he is the one who loves his biggest enemy, which is, which is me and you. Um, the great writer G.K. Chesterton, great Catholic British writer from the early 1900s. So the London Times sent out this inquiry, and they asked all the greatest writers of their day, what is the greatest problem in the world today? And Chesterton wrote, dear sir, comma, I am, period, yours, comma, G.K. Chesterton. And I think that that is the proper attitude that we are supposed to have towards God, where we realize that, that we are the problem with the world and that uh, we're the enemy. We're the real enemy in this uh, story and that God loves us in spite of us being the enemy. Notice how in verse 34, um, this is my favorite part of the passage. Jesus uses the word credit in this really bizarre way. This is like true Freakonomics, if you know that book or that podcast. Look at verse 34. No, just think about the way he's using the word credit here. Um, we all know what credit is. Um, like Venmo credit or credit card or credit at the bank. Verse 34. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? That's a strange question. If you lend to someone at 10% interest, um, like if you lend $5,000, what is the credit you're going to get there? 10% interest, five, you're going to get $500. So that's the credit. So when Jesus said, if you lend uh, to those from whom you expect to see what credit is that, the obvious answer is the credit is the money that I get back. You know, duh. And yet Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You, you lose all your credit. If you, if you lend to someone... In order to get the money back, you get no credit. You get no spiritual credit at all. You're counting on the money. You're thinking that the money is your credit. But he's using the word credit in a way that has nothing to do with this world. It's nothing to do with the empire. This is, this is the kind of a credit that means that it's a, it's a spiritual credit where you want to be like God. It's an amazing assumption that he's making. That uh, there's a benefit and there's a credit that the world does not know anything about. And the credit is... Being like God. And if you lend money to someone to get back more money, you're losing the real credit, which is that you want to be like your father. You want to be like this merciful father. Um, what he's basically saying is that compared to being like God, money is completely lame. Verse 35, lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward, your reward, that's the credit, will be great for you will be like sons of the most high God. That's the credit that he's assuming his congregation really, really wants. That's what you should want. That's the benefit, and the credit is to be like the Most High God. I remember uh, in 1983, I was invited by my dad to help teach his class, his English class. He was a professor. He taught education, so he was training uh, teachers in the area. Um, That was his great life's work, was to be a trainer of teachers in the Winston-Salem Forsyth County School System. A uh, very noble mission. So he brought me in to teach his students. I, I gave this little lecture in his class. I used my uh, koala pad and showed them how to paint pictures on a Commodore 64 screen. And, uh, and, the, and it was wonderful. Uh, I, he, he, he bribed me by saying, we'll go to Bojangles afterwards. I'll get you a chicken flake biscuit combo. And I was so excited about that combo. I went into that class prepared to get that combo. But then at the end of it, that's not what I cared about at all. I was so thrilled and so proud that... I had joined in my dad's lifelong project of building up the education system in the county here. 
And I could tell, I could tell by looking at him that he was so proud of me. You know, his face, he was just smiling. And uh, the Bojangles, like, pales in comparison to um, that kind of credit. And that's what Jesus is saying, is that uh, you have the chance, child of God, to be like your Father in heaven, whose mission is to just saturate the world in enemy love. And uh, to, this is a God who makes his son to rise on uh, the ungrateful and the evil. Matthew 5, 45, I make my son to rise on the just and the unjust. I send my reign on the good and the evil. Indiscriminate love of God for everyone. Verse 35 sums it up. Uh, that God is a God who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So we have a God who loves, 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 and is deeply kind to and waters and uh, brightens the day of people who are evil, who are ungrateful, who are merciless. And it's definitely not sinful to to lend money for interest. Don't hear me saying that. Um, That's the way our system works. I'm not saying that's sinful. It's it's okay to lend money at at, uh, an interest rate, but isn't it better sometimes to just do it for nothing? Just to give it away. I mean, isn't that fantastic? To sometimes just um, be like God and uh, I'm just going to give you this money. Uh, I don't want anything bad. I want you to just have this. That's, a, that's an amazing feeling to be like God in that way. And um, I think everything I've said so far sounds really great. But um, there is no way that we have the power uh, of our own will to make a New Year's resolution to love our enemy this year. I wish it were that way. I wish that by uh, holding someone accountable to this and um, making resolutions and making sure to follow them every day, that, that that could be the way that we could become lovers of enemy. But Jesus says in this parable, it's kind of counter uh, to what he's just been saying. He said in verse 43, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. If my heart, if my heart is a heart that, that doesn't love my enemy, that, that hates my enemy, then I can try as much as I want to love my enemy, but that heart that is bad is not going to produce good fruit. A bad heart cannot produce good fruit. An envious, jealous, hateful heart. Uh, He says in verse 44 that figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Um, If your heart is a a thorn bush, is very thorny and prickly and easily offended and stuff like that, you can't just suddenly be kind and forgiving. Um, That's what he's saying with these little parables about the thornbush and the figs and the, and the grapes and the uh, brambles. What he's saying there is that you have to have your heart changed. Uh, the heart's got to be changed. The only way you can love your enemy is if your heart uh, is a heart uh, of someone um, who has been transformed by the gospel. Uh, verse 45, I believe, when he says the good treasure of the heart there, is, is the, the good treasure is the treasure of, of the gospel. And that, that when that gets stored up in your heart, that is when you can actually begin to love your enemy. Is when you realize how loved you are um, by someone that you have made into your enemy, namely God. I just wasn't imagining, I was imagining a parable that would strike home to me as someone who um, loves sports. And uh, imagine, uh, so I don't know if you don't, if you don't, if you never had a coach or never um, played any sports, maybe a boss here. Uh, I'm not sure what the, maybe a teacher but just imagine, if you will, that you have a coach that you absolutely hate. And that's not hard for me to imagine. I think most of us who have played sports have had that coach. So this coach you hate, uh, 
a coach doesn't play you in games very much, not nearly as much as you know you should be played. Um, and then maybe the coach will put you in for a second and then pull you right back out, uh, kind of messing with your head, doesn't really tell you why, will never tell you why. And then you make some little tiny mistake in practice and the coach is like all over you and then somebody else does this other thing and they don't say anything. And they make the whole team run suicides because of your little mistake. And uh, you, you are convinced that this coach hates you. You're convinced of it. And so you begin to then hate the coach. And you filter out everything good the coach has ever said about you. Again, this could be your boss or your teacher. Uh, you text all your teammates how dumb the coach is. You know, isn't, isn't this person so stupid? You make fun of the coach behind the coach's back. You even plan to get the coach fired at the end of the year. And then you break your leg. You have a compound fracture, and you're out. You're out for the year. And you go to the hospital, and it's really, really bad. And you're in great pain, and no one's come to visit you. And uh, you're all alone. Very, you know, your heart gets soft, and you're very vulnerable. And then guess who walks in the room, knocking on the door? The coach walks in, the coach that you hated, you gossiped about. And the coach uh, has this big smile, like has no idea that you ever did any of those things or thought any of those things. Big smile. Totally naive to that bouquet of flowers. He's like, I had the team make you this card and all their signatures are on it. And they're like, you're so wonderful. And then coach is like, here's a note. I thought I wrote that. I was thinking about you. I wrote this note. And so just read it when I leave. The coach leaves. You read the note. Says, you've been one of my, uh, one of the most joyful parts of my coaching experience has been to coach you. And you welcomed me like no one else. And in all my years of coaching, you're among my favorite players that I've ever coached. I mean, if, you had, if that happened to you, your heart would be completely changed towards that coach. And that's what, if you can try to make that analogy with God, uh, that is what God does for us. He loves us with this endless, overflowing fountain of love that has got no boundaries. There's no accountability. Uh, it's, uh, it's financially completely unsustainable. It's reckless accounting. Look at verse 38. It says uh, a good measure. That's like a lot of grain. It's pressed down into the bag. You never press down the grain. It's like shaken together so it keeps falling lower and lower into the bag. It runs over. He's like, that's how I'm going to use. That's the the measure I will use to bless you. That's the way the father is. It's like uh, if you've been to Kilwins or uh, Ben and Jerry's or some ice cream place, Dewey's, whatever. And you've got that, the guy who like puts in huge amounts, you know what I mean? Like there's two, there's two scoopers and the first one doesn't give anything to people. And the second one gives like huge amounts and you want that second scooper if you've ever been in that situation. And that scooper like pushes down the ice cream at the very bottom of the cone and just keeps stacking it on like several scoops and it's kind of leaning over the edge. That's what God is like. He's like the irresponsible ice cream scooper that just keeps putting more and more and more on top. Romans 5.10 says, while we were still enemies, while we were still enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's what we are... uh...